Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Devon, England, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from Wellington, New Zealand, is David Wood. Hello. Hello. Right, let me check that my mic's working. Mine's yep. definitely working. It's picking up every bit of noise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think your mic was working very briefly when we when you first started the call, because all of a sudden you just you just went completely dead. Like no no background noise, no nothing. If I if I switch it between on and off, I get an audio spike, like it records the sort of click because uh, it's got an on and off button on the on the top. So I don't know I don't know whether it's dead or there's just something wrong with how I've got it set up or what. Yeah, I just tried it on a different machine, same thing. I can actually, if I record and I, I turn it up, I can hear very very faintly. It's really bizarre. So you're, this is just like the MacBook microphone that you're using now. So I'm using my system mic on this laptop. So uh, yeah, apologies for any, for any audio quality issues, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, we're hoping it doesn't sound too awful, but needs must. You, you're not sounding too bad actually right now. I mean, I I don't want to say it, but I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard to tell the difference in a way. Ooh, that would be an indictment on my on my fancy microphone. Well, maybe that's just Skype making making it sound. Making your good mic sound not very good when we're over Skype, but when we put the recording together, yeah, we we get the benefit of your mic. If you see what I mean, I'll have to see how it shakes out in the edit. <laughs> that's quite annoying because that's quite a lot of money for the mic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I can't send it back now either, um, or rather I could, but like, oh, you bought it in the UK, didn't you? Yeah, and Amazon aren't here properly, so oh. I mean, I could post it all the way back to somebody in the UK and then have them send it back. Yeah, I could even oh, post no. it all the way directly back to Amazon from here, and as long as it gets there in time for the RMA, that'd cost quite a lot, though, wouldn't it, to send a parcel? I don't know. It's probably still still within the realms of it's it's worth it. Oh, okay, but I think I'd probably be inclined to send it to somebody else first, and then have them send it in the UK. Oh, I see. So you you'd request the RMA once it's in the UK with someone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear, dear, dear. <laughs> Alrighty, so this week we're going to talk about marzipan again, or rather the uh, the potential lack of marzipan, as uh, the echo chamber seems to be suggesting in the last few days. I guess where this is all coming from, uh, John Gruber put out a piece about the fact that marzipan might not be coming uh, this WWDC, so I thought maybe we could sort of unpack that a little bit and explore it, see what you think. Um, I know you've got some thoughts about UI in general at the moment, um, so it could, yeah. could be a, a good time to talk about it all. I suppose before we before we dive right in, I suppose we should probably just very very quickly summarise the article. So it seems John says he's heard from first hand, second hand sources. The sources seem to be consistent with each other. So it seems like there's you know, it seems like they, what he's saying might actually be true as opposed to kind of the Apple Apple rumor mill going crazy like it sometimes does. Um, yeah. So the general gist is the name Marzipan. Um, it may have been codenamed Marzipan at one point. Um, but the people he spoke to didn't really know it as that. Um, apparently there are people in Apple that know about the project who only heard about the name Marzipan when Mark Gurman first reported on it, which right. is, is a bit weird. It's news to us. Yeah, exactly. Sort of moment. Um, I suppose then the next major thing from the article is that um, it's like a, a declarative control API um, yep. rather than what we have today, which I suppose could be I think in the article it's called it's references like what we have now is considered procedural. Um, some people yeah. say it's um, imperative. Is that another way of saying of describing what we currently have versus declarative? Yeah. 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, 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 I don't know. I mean, the gist I take from it is that what we have today is uh, really specific. You know, you are talking about this this object. It's got these constraints, this size, and when you when you do that, you are specifying absolutely exactly how it is supposed to look, either through code or through interface builder. Whereas the difference of, of a declarative one is that you're saying this is a thing. And these are the attributes of the thing. Go ahead and render it on your side. Almost like a web browser would render HTML. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So like when you say to HT- in HTML, I want to build a form and I want it to have two text fields and one text area, uh, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, each go off and kind of look at your description of that form, you know, i.e. the HTML that you've written, and then draws it on the screen which i guess is why yeah. you kind of get differences between the browsers because they kind of interpret things in different ways perhaps yeah and then i suppose the final thing um from uh the article was uh, it's not coming in 2018 so I, I mean that's kind of set off a chain a chain of responses i think i've kind of seen on twitter people being like well you know what, what are we going to see at wwdc <laughs> uh, um yeah. so yeah a little bit a little bit sad i suppose that it's you know, if, if we believe this to be true, it's a bit sad that it's not going to come this year. I think it will be quite a shame, actually, if it's not coming or, or at least we don't see some sort of indications of what is coming because there's a potential there for people to sort of hold fire in terms of like Mac development, for example. You, you might choose, if you were thinking about sort of bringing an app, like I've been thinking, from iOS across to Mac OS, uh, then you'd, you'd be holding fire. You know, that that might be a project that you just wait until next year or kind of just go a different, different route on it or something. Yeah, that's, that's possible, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I see, like I say, a lot of people being like, you know, what's going to be left for WWDC? What are they going to show us? And then I start thinking back to things like Swift. I mean, we didn't even know, or I certainly didn't know Swift was coming until they put the slide up on stage. Um, I mean, yeah, hardware, that leaks all the time. But then when you think about the hardware, there's such a huge, huge supply chain and such like a logistical effort worldwide to get these you know pretty devices in our hands every year that we all crave and that chain is you know in its nature it's going to be prone to weaknesses in terms of its uh, its ability to leak i suppose but when it comes to software i feel like they've got uh, more of a like a home field advantage yeah in that they can really keep things under wraps if they want to i mean sure there was a lot of kind of um, sort of theorizing of a new language you know, the successor to Objective-C. But I don't think anyone had a clue that it was going to be Swift. Um, no. I certainly didn't. I, I, I was completely unaware of all the rumours and missed it all by chance. But No, I mean, the most I remember hearing about beforehand was um, sort of some debate about what extensions to Objective-C could be going on. You know, right. like, okay, what's going, to, what's going to come in sort of uh, the next bump and update to Objective-C itself rather than, oh, there's this brand new language that's going to completely change everything we do. So yeah, that that was definitely quite a surprise, and I, th- I totally agree. Really, there's a possibility that we might be surprised in June with a number of things that just don't kind of register in the same way as we've been imagining Marzipan to be. For example, you know, it could be something completely left field that's got nothing to do with with convergence or how you display UI or that side of things. You know, there could be something completely different that lands in June that just completely steals the show and. Yeah, that's that's what everybody wants to talk about and get into, and all of this just sort of looks a bit kind of like moot, I guess. In 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 light of that, you know, it's it's totally possible for something like that to happen. 
kind of so, like um, what was it, only like two or three months before the iPhone 10 launched um, you know podcasts everywhere rumor sites everywhere were still saying maybe there's going to be a fingerprint scanner under the glass or on the back or something but yeah like now we're yeah, back absolutely. on that we're like what were we thinking <laughs> yeah and we debated that you know we, we totally did yeah we were guilty of it yeah yeah um and sort of saying oh well if they stuck the fingerprint scanner on the back then they've blown it well they didn't do that yeah, so I, I guess I still, I'm still looking ahead to WWDC with some optimism um, and, and an open mind. Yeah, the fact that some people are saying that some of the things we thought we might get are no longer coming in a way that kind of excites me because the, the way I'm seeing it right now, either we we get something cool that we, we weren't expecting, like you just said, um, which would be cool, or we get the thing that we were already excited about, i.e. marzipan, which would be cool, or or we get like a snow leopard year, which frankly wouldn't be the worst thing. Um no, not at all. You know, if we're to believe the rumour mill lately, um, specifically Marzipan, ARM-based Macs, um, the timeline sort of all sort of point to 2019 in that, yeah, let's say the rumour's true that Marzipan isn't coming this year, but it's coming next year. That's 2019. ARM Macs starting in 2020. So maybe an announcement in 2019 wouldn't be the worst thing, so developers can start preparing for the transition. That's going to be a pretty busy WWDC that year. Um, and if that means we get a snow leopard year this year, fine. Um, and you know, probably you know, there's been a lot of uh, you know software quality rumors and well, not rumors, rather software quality complaints going around um, certainly yep. in the last twelve months. So maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing if Apple just sort of took their foot off the gas in terms of new um, impressive features and just doubled down on on quality and just kind of chilled out a little bit on on the new features. Um, probably some people will complain, but then yeah, you, you can't please all the people all of the time, can you? So no, not at all. And I mean, I'd be happy from a development perspective just to sort of see, I don't know, kind of the further sort of rounding out of the transition to Swift. You know, in certain uh, parts of the the SDK, certain old APIs kind of being updated, um, just that bit further. I mean, there are still sort of ns this and ns that kind of objects that we refer to and you know it's not that they're bad things to work with there's a lot of known territory with things like you know for example ns attributed string um and it's it's a known quantity and that's great but i still kind of feel with some of these things that they they could be tweaked that bit further to sort of be better for for programming in swift with and if this is a year that we get loads of those sort of things coming in instead of like, oh, it's brand new features, it's this, we're going over here now, everybody jump aboard, you know, then that would be a good place to be, a sort of clearing house and a kind of getting everything as neat as possible, I guess, before a big transition. That that would make sense too. Yeah, I mean, Marzipan, um, all the ARM-based Mac rumours, they're both going to be big deals, I think. Um, so, yeah, a year a year to get to kind of get your house in order might not be the worst thing because if you know marzipan is going to be this kind of declarative uh ui framework it's going to shake things up quite a lot isn't it um i, I mean i i still sort of feel today like there are you know some quite uh big gaps really in terms of how ui is designed you know for ios i, I sort of feel like well storyboards give me um, and Zips and Interface Builder, that gives me one way of working with things. Um, but then it's totally possible to describe things programmatically, and that's that's almost a completely different paradigm after a point. And yet the two are working on the same objects, the same components. 
and, and sort of switching gears between those two different sort of types of, of um, approaches to UI design is, is quite quite a clunky thing. Um, You've been going back and forth on it a bit this week, haven't you? I saw you on Twitter at one point saying something about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at, um, at Paperkite, we programmed uh, UI using SnapKit and doing everything programmatically. And that's uh, that just reaps a lot of benefits for us as a, a company and as a team. Um, so I've kind of transitioned over the last 10 months or so completely into sort of doing everything programmatic. Um, and with SnapKit as, as a um, library to sort of make constraint declaration easier, that's, that's quite cool. Uh, it gives you lots of benefits in terms of um, when you're using version control. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but like version control and uh, storyboards, they don't really get on um, because the the hashes and things like that that are describing the objects within the storyboard themselves, they can change just by sort of tweaking and editing something and hitting save and you get a completely different version of the storyboard file. Um, and when you're working on a team and one person updates one bit, one person updates another bit, uh, you're in separate branches and then you try and like merge the two together, you get conflicts that you just can't resolve. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's a mess. So... Yeah, from, from that perspective, I've done everything I do outside of Paperkite. I started to do programmatically as well. So, so all my personal projects are kind of going that way because that just sort of makes my, my mental gear shift um, less less far away, really, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I had an idea for something. I wanted to make a, um, a piece of UI that it mimics something that the App Store does in terms of, like, you've got an image at the top of the screen and it it's in a, a scroll view essentially it's part of a scroll view um, presented piece of content and you've got a vertical flow going on so everything sort of lays out below this image and can go um, off the bottom of the screen so you can scroll down and and as you do so the the image itself um, kind of follows your scrolling movement the image gets a little bit bigger it sort of tweaks up to a size and, and zooms out a little bit um, and then as you scroll the other way, it kind of hits a um, a lower limit and then scrolls up and off the off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that kind of describes it very well verbally, but but anyway, is, so, is it sort of like on the Twitter app on iOS when you go into someone's profile, the header uh, image? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, very much like that. Okay, cool. I'm with you now. Uh, okay, so. Doing something like that straight off bat programmatically uh, for me is still quite hard. You know, there's a lot to think about there. I've got to sort of lay things out, draw things out on paper even and kind of figure out, well, okay, I want this to do that, that to do that. So that means this has got to be here and here. And, and then I can kind of go off and, and code it, but it will take a few go rounds of um, develop it, run it, check it. This thing doesn't work. Tweak this bit, go back again. And just for the sheer hell of it, I thought, well, okay, let's let's boot up um, a, a blank project, open up a storyboard, um, and just do it, do it in Interface Builder, um, and sort of see if I can, you know, make make the constraints work that way. And and I did, you know, this this is, um, it it was absolutely not beyond me to do, and the idea just sort of flowed straight out of my head and straight onto the screen, and within like twenty minutes, I was bouncing this thing around on my phone and going, oh, this looks really cool. Um, so I had that that kind of moment with it of like, well, that was really quick. And I could still have got there programmatically. That's that's not the issue. You know, like 
the same knowledge that I have, the same kind of idea that I had to do it in Interface Builder, I could have done through code. But I was aware that it probably would have taken me a little bit longer and perhaps a couple more iterations to sort of get everything spot on. Um, so that led me to sort of thinking what I'd really love is it just being able to lay it out in Interface Builder and then, you know, like right click and it just turns it into SnapKit based kind of constraints or something. Um, you know, that I could then go and tweak and change or do whatever. I really wish it was that easy to sort of swap between the sort of two ways of working with constraints and UI and setup. And at the moment, it just isn't. So Almost like when you're dealing with like a P-list in, in kind of the GUI that they give you, but then you can quickly switch into a, is it XML? No, it's not XML, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you can sort of like quickly switch from like, you know, all the nice drop downs and the plus buttons and stuff, and you can then switch into code and then back again. Yeah, exactly. That, that kind exactly. of thing. So I, I wish Interface Builder and Storyboards and all of that was that easy. Um, I mean, one thing I need to call out here is that Storyboards, as they are today, um, give you a view of view controllers that is very much based on the Storyboard is managing the flow as well as it's managing the UI. You know, so you've got your, your root view controller and... and it is, you know, it's a, a navigation controller or whatever you want to make the top level one be. Mm-hmm. And then you add your your content to that and everything sort of flows from there. Uh, potentially you can offload to another storyboard. That's that's something you can do as well. Um, but, but the interface builder documents itself, the storyboard is defining the flow as well as the UI. And I don't think that's something I would, would ever really trust to a storyboard again. Because uh, I quite like defining my flow between my, my view controllers via code. You know, these days I use things like coordinator patterns to sort of do the, the linkage between different view controllers. So I really am specifically just after that thing that sort of lets me design the constraints and design design the UI itself for the view, but I don't want any of the rest. I don't care about the, the, the flow or that side of stuff. I'm quite happy to do that. Um, programmatically uh so yeah i guess actually this sort of update to the marzipan rumor and this this kind of view of the um declarative control api if that is really what's going on for me that that could be the thing that i'm after you know um mm. yeah i mean if it could just be as easy as you you write something in code and then you right click and it opens up an interface builder or sort of vice versa um i'd be very happy you know, I mean, I don't mind if we lose, like, uh, like I say, the flow that storyboards present or that there's some other way of kind of stitching together these these view documents into that sort of flow. You know, maybe you can still drag drag and drop them into, uh, into Interface Builder or something like that. But it's that being able to go from one view to the other. So from the programmatic to the visualization and vice versa, that, that would be so powerful. Mm. Um, and it's, it's the thing that I think is really missing. I think it does make a lot of sense now the more I've been mulling over this um, kind of declarative approach because to me when I think about iOS and macOS there's a there's a very stark contrast between the two of them so using like what we have now which I guess you could call a, an imperative approach you, know, you tell the system exactly how you want everything to be and it goes and does it but then 
with macOS being so fundamentally different in its approach when you sort of contrast it with iOS, you know, initially when I heard about Marzipan, I was like, oh, cool, I can just make a, a Mac version of my iOS app and it won't be too much work. But when you actually think about it in detail, the thought of making a cross-platform app with the tools we currently have, it started, when I started to kind of flash the idea out of my head, it's like, wow, that's actually going to be quite a lot of work just because the, the two systems are so, so different. Yeah. Um, like when you think about iOS, it's designed for... You know, the input method is, is, is designed to be imprecise. You know, we've got these kind of you know, big fat fingers that we're prodding the screen with, whereas the Mac has a pointer, which is yeah. very precise, and that can support things like hover state, and iOS doesn't do that. And iOS devices, for the most part, compared to like big iMacs and big MacBooks, are quite limited in their screen real estate, yet they need to have big tap targets. The Mac doesn't. Um, yeah. So I started thinking, like, having to accommodate all of this, with the tools we currently have, it like makes the prospect of writing a cross-platform app quite daunting. Now, if you start thinking about it in terms of a declarative approach, you, you're you in more of a situation where you're describing what you want the UI to be, and then the system goes off and creates it, which made me wonder if that solution were to be in place in the form of marzipan or whatever it ends up being. Potentially that could give Apple the ability to kind of take away a lot of that heavy lifting from us as developers at a framework level by doing a lot of the legwork for us by kind of creating a UI that's suitable for each platform based on the description we've given it, if I'm making yep. sense. Yeah, no, that's making a lot of sense. So I wonder if it could, in a way, in a way kind of abstract a lot of the fundamental differences away between the systems, between macOS and iOS from us as developers to kind of make it easier to make an app that can span both platforms, which are at their core very, very different platforms, which I think could be quite a cool solution as long as obviously we can still get under the hood and tweak stuff and override stuff where we want to. Because um, yeah. it might be that, you know, Apple's kind of default behavior, I don't know, let's just take a table view or a collection view as an example. You kind of say, oh, I would like a table view and it goes off and makes an iOS flavor of it and it goes off and makes a Mac flavor of it. But then if we could be like, oh, actually, when it comes to the Mac, we want to make it different in this way as developers we can kind of get in and override stuff i think you totally want that kind of um level of fine tuning because i could immediately sort of see well you know if you want a specific sort of design or whatever then you're going to need something that lets you go that next level down and sort of start to say well actually we want to specify this to behave in this way on this platform or you know we want the colors in this position to be a certain way or whatever it is i can sort of think that the sort of fancier designs that, that some applications have would, would really need that sort of level of control. Mm. Um, and I, I could imagine a few people sort of being kind of worried, you know, okay, well, if Apple's going to be dictating all of this, does that mean that we can't sort of make beautiful designs anymore? You know, we've got to work within their constraints quite a lot. Um, I don't think that'll be the case. I think they'll find the balance if this is something that's coming through. And I guess, you know, maybe... Maybe actually the, we will see some beginnings of this this year. And maybe that those sort of beginnings are actually about sort of getting people in that kind of headspace that they're going to need to be to sort of think about how they bring their designs across. You know, because that, that's probably part of the biggest, biggest kind of um, knock-on effect of this sort of thing. It's not just about developers. It's not just about how you're going to program it and wire it up. You know, it's about the building blocks and the... Um, the, the creative tools themselves that designers are going to have available to them as well for sort of designing our UIs and all of that, because that's such a big deal now. 
Sort of like when they introduced size classes, um, was it like a year or two before the big phones actually came out? Yes. So they're kind yes, of like, exactly like, come on, guys, like nudging us in this direction. Like, we've, this is the way you're going to need to go. We can't tell you why yet, you know, because we're obviously not going to tell you about the new big phones. But, you know, nudge, nudge, nudge. And then eventually the big phones come out and it's like, oh, right, of course. <laughs> now now yeah. we get it. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see kind of updates to Xcode or Interface Build or all that kind of stuff. That while it doesn't necessarily confirm the existence of, you know, Marzipan or whatever it is, um, we could get some very, very strong clues this year if we don't get the full-blown announcement. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find at spacereaders.com. And on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott.